Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Coming into the All Blacks, you're always under pressure. There's an expectation that you live up to what the jersey stands for. Today, Pacifica players are commonplace in the All Blacks and rugby in general. But rugby hasn't always been this way. During Sir Brian Williams' time, there were some cultural barriers. There hadn't been many Pacifica players selected since the 1930s. During his eight years with the All Blacks, he played 38 international tests, which included two tours to apartheid-era South Africa. Williams again. Almost on the halfway line, Kirkpatrick to Williams. In his first year, he made rugby history as the first Pacifica player to play for the All Blacks and be granted honorary white status to play in South Africa in 1970. And we'll get into that side of Sir Brian's rugby history shortly. Brian Williams grew up in Ponsonby, Auckland. My neighbours, uh, both up the road and across the road, uh, were league people and both their fathers were the coaches of, of this particular team. So I started playing rugby league for the Ponsonby Rugby League Club when I was five years old. I loved running with the ball, and when I was younger, I was, I was quite fast, so I could uh, run, run faster than other kids, and uh, as a result, um, scored some tries. And, and when you score tries, uh, it really uh, whets your appetite for more. Rugby league is fast-paced and physically brutal. There was no time to worry about scraped knees and bumps along the way. I grew up uh, with a couple of older brothers and a younger sister, and the older brothers uh, used to put me through the hoops. We'd go down to the park uh, during the weekends and uh, play for hours, and, and I came out with a few scrapes and bruises and sometimes even more than that. But when he was 10 years old, his league team disbanded, and that's when he'd make the transition to rugby. Fortunately, I, um, I, I enjoyed it, and I've, I've been at Ponsby Rugby Club pretty much ever since, which was, uh, it was 1960 when it started, so 61 years ago. But even though he possessed a natural gift, that initial transition to rugby didn't come as easily as he'd anticipated. An early setback in his first two years taught a young Brian Williams that he should never rest on his laurels. No, I, I had my ups and downs along the way. I, I can recall um, one time when I was um, 11 years old and uh, I, I had been selected for the Auckland uh, primary school reps uh, the year before and um, as a result, I thought I was a shoo-in uh, for, for the next year. And, of course, uh, when the team was, was named, I was, I was left out. And um, I remember walking all the way home in the, in the rain, uh, bawling my eyes out and um, 
and, and vowing never ever to take anything for granted again. <laughs> and and I, I guess I, I didn't take anything for granted after that. A natural athlete, Brian Williams has played alongside top players in the world. So it's kind of surprising that the two people he looked up to most were much closer to home than you'd expect. Well, my two older brothers, Sess and Ken, uh, were, were probably uh, pretty big influences uh, in, in my rugby career. And mum and dad obviously encouraged me a great deal, but there were lots of uh, different coaches too. Uh, when, when I left uh, Mount Albert Grammar School uh, in 1967, I, I immediately uh, made the uh, Ponsonby senior team and um, we we had a tour to uh, uh, Japan uh, straight out of school, so that that was was fun. And one of the guys I um, who was my hero, I, I guess at that stage, was Malcolm Dick. He was an All Black, and he wasn't able to go on that Ponsonby tour. Malcolm had played for the All Blacks from 1963 to 1970. He basically stood aside and, and allowed me to uh, to go on the tour in his place. And just three years later, in 1970, Brian would be playing alongside him. It was an exciting and daunting time, but one we also felt he had to prove himself. It was groundbreaking stuff. I was only 19, selected for the first time alongside many of my heroes, um, you know, Colin Meads, Brian Lahore, uh, Malcolm Dick, as, as I mentioned, and a whole array of other top players who I'd spent the 1960s absolutely idolising and then suddenly I was selected alongside them. So I, I was terrified of, of, of living up to their expectations. But as a Pacifica player, there was an added layer on top. Coming into the All Blacks, you're, you're always under uh, pressure. There's an expectation that you uh, live up to, to what the jersey uh, stands for. Uh, but also, there hadn't been many uh, Pacifica players uh, selected um, since the 1930s. And um, so I realised that I, I was representing uh, my, my people, my heritage, and, um, and, and had an extra responsibility. But there were others who came before him. Walter Batty was the first Tongan player to don an All Blacks jersey in the late 20s, then came Dave and Frank Solomon, the first Samoan players, who between them played for the All Blacks from the early to mid-1930s. So Here Frank Solomon plays at a crowded Eden Park, Auckland against the Springboks, an archival audio from Natonga Sound and Vision in 1937. Auckland falling onto the ground led by Colleen. Auckland in black and white. Some big fellas among this Auckland team. Frank Solomon there second. Several other big Brian forwards. had the privilege of getting to know the Solomon brothers, who were also associated with the Ponsonby Rugby Club. I, I knew uh, both uh, Frank and Dave, and they were they were getting old, elderly, I guess, um, uh, later on. But um, when when I was playing uh, for the All Blacks, uh, they, they were still around, and uh, they were lovely uh, gentlemen. I really really enjoyed their company. So. What advice did the Solomon brothers pass down? The main thing was, was just to um, enjoy the game and, and uh, do your best every time. And uh, that, that's the point about if, if you want to uh, get to the top, uh, you, you, you can't let your guard down. You've got to train hard and, and, and uh, play well when you get the opportunities so that um, 
when the time comes for selection, the, the selectors can't leave you out. And Brian would make the most of his time on the field. In his first year, he was selected to play in South Africa for a three-month tour. It was then that his mixed-race background came to the fore. Yeah, my mum was born in Rarotonga and, and my dad was born in, in Samoa. And um, believe it or not, I, I also had a, a grandmother who was born in Tonga. So uh, I, I cover the whole, the whole range. <laughs> it was a story that made history. As a player of mixed-race descent, Brian was granted honorary white status to play in apartheid-era South Africa. Apartheid, defined as apartness in Afrikaans, was a system of legislation with policies around racial segregation that separated blacks and those of coloured skin from the much more privileged whites. Well, it was a, a big deal, and... Um... It was a history-making tour because it was also the first tour where players of, of dark blood uh, were allowed to be selected uh, for the All Blacks uh, prior to that. Uh, the abhorrent uh, system of apartheid uh, prevented any Māori or Pacifica players uh, being included in the All Blacks. On top of that, of course, was, was the apartheid issue. How, how was I going to be treated when I, when I got to South Africa? In this audio from TV documentary Mud and Glory, a young Brian Williams expresses some concerns about the upcoming tour. Well, initially I was uh, very scared. I, I remember when the plane touched down in Johannesburg, I, I just wanted uh, the plane to turn right around again. But what did this honorary white status look like in reality? Well, I think that was an absolute nonsense. It, it was uh, a means by which the South Africans uh, justified... Uh, select, selecting dark-skinned people uh, to tour to South Africa. and What a nonsense. I, I knew what I was, and the Maori boys knew what they were. And, uh, you know, if someone wanted to give us a silly label, good luck to them. Uh, some people would say um, that, that we shouldn't have gone to South Africa, we should have um, protested and, and not gone. Brian felt he had a lot to prove, not only to the other players, but also to the world. You know, when we got to South Africa, we were treated uh, just like all the other players and, and um, really just, just got on the, with the job of being an All Black and, and trying to win a series. In terms of apartheid, it was also a question of, of representing the, um, you know, the black and coloured people of South Africa, just to illustrate to them that uh, we, we, we could uh, compete at, at the top level and um, just to know that it was giving them uh, some hope as soon as he was in his comfort zone on the field, the 19-year-old impressed a roaring crowd, as you can hear from this 1970 archival audio from the tour. All put in at the tight hit for New Zealand, who's going, who's got it, he's running on the, on the short side, he's downfield, he's still going, he's got it out to Williams, they won't stop him, Williams has flashed through two tackles, well done, well said, he's gone past chance and he's left him standing, and he goes straight between the posts. In South Africa, he scored 14 tries in 13 appearances, and his abilities didn't go unnoticed by his teammates, including veteran player Colin Meads, who recalls a tour in TV documentary Mud and Glory. And I said, you know, come on, I've got a room with this guy to get to know him. I said, you know, he's such a great player, we've got to get to know this fellow a bit. But there was another layer to that experience on the tour. Other than immediately being labelled and identified as a Samoan player or a player of dark blood, Brian and the three Māori players, Sid Going, Buff Milner and Blair Furlong, were embraced by the local black community. I think they, they took us to, the, to their hearts. Uh, we were perhaps their favourites. and It was a strange scenario, you know, the, the black and coloured people 
had to sit at, at the ends of, of the grounds and everyone else was sitting along the, the sidelines. When we were able to score tries in, in front of our fans, <laughs> they, they absolutely loved it, so that was, that was great. I have always felt that by going to South Africa in 1970, um, the three Māori boys and, and myself uh, helped to create a, a, a bit of a chink in, in the arm of apartheid and uh, eventually, of course, we, we saw in 1991 um, Nelson Mandela become president of South Africa, so uh, it, it was an interesting time for sure. So Brian also had a chance to go back to South Africa in 1976. By then, he had witnessed some change. We certainly were able to um, uh, mix uh, with with the local people, and uh, particularly in 1976, probably not so much in 1970, uh, I went into uh, the homes of of coloured and uh, black South Africans and and had meals with them. And and you might say, well, that's tokenism or, or whatever, but the fact was we, we started to see gradual changes uh, taking place in South Africa and people talking about um, how, how they were discriminated against and, and um, the poverty and the lack of opportunity and, you know, it, it, was, it was awful really to, to hear about it. Did, did you ever see that there were then any parallels between what was happening there and even New Zealand but on a much smaller Sort of scale. Oh well, you, you could always uh, see see parallels. Um, you know, some people are uh, uh, less well off uh, than other people. And to Brian Williams, that's three for New Zealand. So Brian played nine seasons with the All Blacks, retiring the black jersey in 1978, just two years after his second tour to South Africa. During his career, he played 113 matches, including 38 international tests, and scored 66 tries, which at the time was a record until it was beaten by John Kerwin. Not that retiring from the All Blacks came by choice. Like many athletes, injury struck. Brian wasn't in a position to continue playing at the top level. In 1977, when we were in France, I, uh, I dislocated my, my left hip and uh, although I managed to make it back and, and play for the All Blacks the following year, it, it really um, affected my, my speed and my ability to, uh, uh, to run effectively and became pretty apparent that uh, my time with the All Blacks was, was just about done. And was that devastating for you? Oh, I don't know about devastating. I've, I've always been a, a realist. Brian played for two further years for Auckland Rugby following his stint in the All Blacks before hanging up his boots as a player altogether. And while today in the sporting world there's been a massive global shift in attention to the mental health of athletes, Brian says having a career to fall back on enabled him to have something to focus on after injury. The the game was amateur back then. You you didn't get paid for playing the game. So it was very important uh, that, you, that you made your way in life uh, away from rugby. Rugby was a hobby, a passion. It was a, a, a beautiful pastime. Rugby didn't become a professional sport in New Zealand until 1995, so having a backstop was more of a necessity. Uh, to be quite frank about it, I, I'm pleased I uh, played rugby in that era because it, it meant that um, you had to study or, or do an apprenticeship or something and 
and and learn work ethic uh, very early in in your in your working life. Some of the young professional players who retire nowadays have, have got no training uh, for for life after rugby. So it's it's a real issue for them. Although they might have lots of money in the bank, would you think? Well, some do and and some don't. And and once again, it, it's a question of how well managed uh, their, their money has been. You know, have they? Spent it all, and and uh, you know bought flash cars and, and and wasted it, or have they invested wisely? And and that that's the issue with with many of them. I was perhaps a wee bit fortunate. I I had a, a profession to go to. By this time, Brian and his wife had had their first child, and while he'd been playing with the All Blacks, he was also completing a law degree. Dare I say it? I I failed everything in my first year. I, <laughs> the dean of the law faculty got me into his office. He said, uh, "Listen here, uh, Mr. Williams." He said, oh, "They tell me you're not a bad rugby player." He said, "But you're going to have to shape up or ship out." And Brian was not one to back down, so he towed the line. But that doesn't mean Sir Brian left rugby behind completely. He went on to coaching. Well, I, I, I did coach in New Zealand. Um, my my uh, great friend Morris Trapp and I coached the uh, the Auckland team of the late 1980s. Uh, we, we followed um, John Hart and, and then preceded uh, Graham Henry and uh, that era of Auckland rugby was was perhaps the most successful uh, period uh, that we've seen in New Zealand rugby. And he's continued to be passionate about supporting and advocating for Pacifica players. It was at a time when uh, Samoa was was trying to qualify uh, for the for the Rugby World Cup. Uh, they'd missed out in 1987. I was asked if I would uh, join the coaching group, and that that was a uh, the um, team that was captained by. Um, Papali Tali Peter Fati Lofa. We uh, took the rugby world by storm. I, I then was able to coach the Samoan team right through the 1990s up till 1999. We had a lot of success during that period. Would you say there were any obstacles along the way in terms of kind of breaking through and being noticed in the like the wider rugby environment? Yes, um, lots of obstacles, and and the biggest of which was when rugby went professional in, in 1995. Samoa, to that point, had, had made uh, the Rugby World Cup quarterfinals in both 1991-1995, and uh, Fiji had made the quarterfinals in 1987. We'd, we'd both been uh, part of super rugby uh, competitions uh, in New Zealand prior to... Uh, uh, 1995, and then suddenly, um, when the game went professional, uh, the Pacific Islands were left totally out in the cold. But the big question: Why were Pacific nations left out to begin with? I felt aggrieved about it at the at the time. So did many others. It's taken us uh, 25, 26 years uh, to to um, uh, get a get a, a satisfactory outcome. Uh, where in 2022, uh, we're finally going to have a a Pacifica Super Rugby team. In fact, we're going to have two with uh, Moana Pacifica and, and uh, the Fiji Drua. All, all we ask is, is for an even playing field uh, so that all these young people can show the pride and, and play, play for their, their heritage. If they were able to, I think world rugby uh, would be great beneficiaries. And he's had an extraordinary career looking back. 
1983, he was appointed a member of the Order of the British Empire for his services to rugby. In 2013, in the Queen's Birthday Honours, he was appointed a companion of the New Zealand Order of Merit. And five years later, in 2018, he was promoted to knight. That same year, he was also inducted into the World Rugby Hall of Fame. Yeah, well, that was obviously very... Uh, special and I, I feel uh, very honoured and, and privileged to, to be uh, honoured in, in those particular ways. But for Sir Brian, regardless of the titles, the most important thing to him is the game itself. These days, Sir Brian still lives in Auckland, where he continues to support home turf, the Ponsonby Rugby Club, where it all began. One of the, the things that's given me uh, the greatest pleasure, I guess, is winning championships for, for my club at, at Ponsonby. You know, it's, it's, it's great um, going to the, the top of the, the tree in terms of all blacks and winning grand slams and, and winning series and that. But I'd have to say I, I think the biggest uh, thrill, other than uh, perhaps the first time I made the all blacks, is, is winning uh, the Gallagher Shield here in, here in Auckland. Uh, for, for my club, Ponsonby. The, the club uh, mean, means so much. Ponsonby have, have um, you know, really supported me uh, for so many years. I, I played alongside my, my two brothers uh, for the Premier team and uh, both my two sons and um, uh, my nephew have, have uh, also played in the Premier team and, and won Gallagher Shields with, with Ponsonby. It just means, um, you know, so so much to me. Brilliant. Oh, that's brilliant. John Williams, Brian Williams, Colin. You've been listening to Eyewitness, and that was Sir Brian Williams. A sound engineer was Steve Burridge, and I'm your host and producer, Sonia Yee. Special thanks goes to Natonga Sound and Vision for providing archival audio. If you'd like to listen to any other episodes from the series, you can head to the RNZ series and podcast page and look for Eyewitness or download and follow via Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. Catch you next time. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.